The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, I sincerely hope that already as we've lifted our voices in praise and in song that your heart has been stirred with affection for Jesus Christ tonight. And tonight as we come to his word, I would like to invite you to open up with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, you can reach out your hand for a Bible in the pew rack if you need one, but please do turn with me. It's on page 986. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As you're turning there, uh, we are all trying to serve the Lord faithfully. Wherever you are, and whatever your ministry context, whatever you do, and we're all constantly being offered that, that this is the next big ministry model, and this is the next uh, way of doing ministry, and this is the next way to have a healthy and flourishing ministries. Uh, we find so many different models, but Tonight I want to look at the apostolic model of gospel ministry and what it looks like among the people of God, but most especially the tone of the apostolic ministry among the people of God. I want to hold out collectively for our good what Paul speaks to these dear brothers and sisters in 1 Thessalonians. And so if you've got your Bible ready, let us pray and ask the Spirit of God's help upon us to illuminate our minds that we might know God's word. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we hear so many words from so many people, so many opinions, so much thought. And yet, Lord, now we quiet our hearts that we might hear from your word, that you might speak to us in truth and so, Lord, we call upon your Holy Spirit to come to illuminate our minds and give us understanding. Come and illuminate our hearts. Lord, we pray that as your word is planted within us, that it might find good soil to bear fruit to the glory of your name. And so, Lord, come and speak to your children now, we pray, in the authority of your word and in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. And now, your friends, hear the word of God from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and the first 12 verses. This is the word of God. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, 
but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God abides forever. May he write his eternal truth upon our hearts. I invite you to keep your Bible open there in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2 because I want us to come to this text with an admonition that my grandmother always used to give to me and I imagine maybe yours as well when you uh, perhaps speaking an out of turn word or being told to watch your tongue. I was told to mind my tone. Mind your tone. You know what that means. Even after she passed away, that wisdom was uh, brought back to me again in the form of a homiletics professor in seminary who wanted so deeply for his students to understand that as we speak the word of God, we must take on the tone of the word of God as we speak. That it is possible to say the right thing in the wrong way or to perhaps use the truth of God in a harsh way. We must mind our tones. So whether we are teaching elders or whether we are ruling elders or whoever you are, whatever context you might have for service in the church of Jesus Christ, whoever you are, you must learn to mind your tone. So what we see here is what that looked like for Paul. Paul is writing to this beloved congregation whom he had labored among and he had given his heart to. You can see the affection in his words. Uh, but if maybe you remember from the context from Acts chapter 17 that Paul had to leave this city uh, under duress and under attack. You can go back and look at that context from Acts chapter 17. But there in that particular city, Paul and Silas are essentially cast out of the city by this unruly mob. People who are upset. People who are upset that that Paul's gospel ministry was being supported by a man named Justin and, and people who were upset that Paul was preaching the gospel. Not everybody wanted to hear the gospel. People were upset about so much gospel preaching. They were discontent with the ministry of the gospel that Paul was giving. Paul's ministry was not always received with gladness and joy and exuberation. And I would venture to guess you might know something of that. But I want us to see that for all the opposition that Paul experienced in the context of Thessalonica, he says that the aim of his ministry, you see it in chapter 2, verse 4, the aim of his ministry was not to please man, but to please God. And it is in these verses at the beginning of chapter 2 and then expanding 
He is developing something that he's actually already said back in chapter 1, verse 5. If you scan up to chapter 1, verse 5, you'll see that Paul says, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You know us and you know the ministry that we had among you. And now in chapter 2, he's expanding on that thought to say, You remember our ministry. It was like this. And so he's going on in chapter 2 to set forth his own apostolic ministry amongst the Thessalonian Christians, to reflect on them about the tone of his gospel ministry among these dear people. And he uses two images, two illustrations, and two metaphors to describe the nature of his ministry among the Thessalonians that both served them faithfully and pleased God but pleases God as the highest priority, but also serves them faithfully. You can do both. What are those two pictures? We're really just focusing on Paul's own illustrations here. They are in verse 7, a gentle mother. And in verse 11 and following, a tender father. Paul is saying, You know me, and you know the ministry that I sought to carry out amongst you, and it was like this. And so we look at this and and ask, are we watching our tone? Is our tone of gospel ministry shaped in this apostolic way? What does it look like? Notice in the first place, we see the picture of the ministry as a gentle mother, A gentle mother. Notice again in verse 7 how he begins with this description of gentleness when he says, we were gentle among you. And as he is bringing about the illustration of gentleness of a mother, he is setting up a contrast for what he has already done in the previous verses. He's setting up a contrast for other models of ministry that the Thessalonian Christians were used to before Paul's ministry came to have influence. Paul reminds them of the conflict that had occurred in the city and how his ministry experienced mixed reception. Some people received it. Some people received it with a little bit of uncertainty, but some gladness. Some people were intrigued. Other people disagreed. Other people disagreed so vehemently that they formed a mob to send out the apostles from the city. But he is reflecting on the nature of his coming to them as he is saying, I didn't come to you imposing the authority of my office upon you. I didn't come to you with insistence and I didn't come to you with the desire for you to bow down to me. I didn't throw my weight around. I didn't have a sense of entitlement. We didn't act that way when we came to you. The contrast is between a heavy-handed, insincere, people-pleasing ministry and the type of ministry that pleases God with the tone of the gospel. Paul says it looks like a nursing mother. That might not be the first picture of eldership that comes to mind for you. There are other metaphors, good metaphors. You might not think of your gospel ministry as the ministry of a nursing mother. But Paul is not ashamed to use this beautiful feminine imagery here to describe his care for the people of God. In fact, he does it elsewhere, like in Galatians 4.19, when Paul speaks of being in the birth pains of childhood for the sake of the believers as Christ is formed in them, literally giving birth to them, spiritually speaking, Paul uses that picture. But then here in 1 Thessalonians, 
He's comparing himself literally to, the word is, a wet nurse. A wet nurse. And in this context, it's a woman who was actually contracted to nurse the children not of her own womb was the common thing in that culture. At this time, it was common for families to hire out the nursing of their children. That woman would become responsible for them uh, throughout their early years and even onto their education in such a way that, that these nursemaids would be something almost like a lifelong influence over the children. But Paul is using this picture and he is saying that it's not exactly like they were so used to seeing in the culture because he's saying that his apostolic ministry was not as a hired wet nurse, but rather as one who what cares for her own children, which wouldn't have been as common in that time. Not as hired help, but as a woman who cares for the fruit of her own womb. What is that picture? I want to say that it's a, it's a picture of gentleness, isn't it? A most sincere gentleness. And as I, I think about that, I think about personally with, with joy that my first niece was born two weeks ago. That my brother is having a, a second child, a little girl, next month, Lord willing. And by God's grace, Mackenzie and I are expecting our first child in April. This, this, this picture of tenderness is all around me right now. But do you see how Paul is drawing out this imagery in this beautiful way to say, this is what my gospel ministry looks like to you. These gentle thoughts, this gentle description. And I'm sure that as Paul is, is unpacking this imagery, uh, loved ones, I hope it stirs your heart with that picture of tenderness and affection. But, but do our ministries look this way? Paul is saying that the Christian ministry is to nourish and care for God's people. The verb that he's using here, that's translated in the ESV as taking care of, that verb there is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's used in the context of Ephesians 5, 29, when speaking about the marriage covenant, describing how husbands are charged to nourish and cherish their wives. That same verb is here, as Paul says, my ministry among you is to nourish and cherish you. And we are likewise called to nourish and cherish the people of God as the Lord teaches us to love them. Does this mark the tone of your ministry? As a mother nursing her own children, would you say here in verse 8 with Paul that your people have become affectionately desirous to you? That you have become affectionately desirous to the people of God in which they are very dear to you? Paul speaks of these loved ones as so precious, he says, that he was ready to share with them not only the gospel, but also our own selves. Isn't that an interesting way of speaking about the ministry? The gospel and our own selves. For all the gospel-centered goodness that is in the world, that might strike us a little bit. Gospel and, but... It is as if to say that there is the ministry of the gospel, but there is also the ministry of the gospel that includes the giving of our own selves and the giving of our own lives. And as I've been trying to think about that, and as I reflect on the nature of ministry itself, I want to suggest maybe that it's possible to do one without the other. It's possible to, maybe, give yourself rather than give the gospel. 
and therefore make yourself the end of your ministry and make it all about you, which is, of course, a disastrous prospect. But it's also possible, perhaps, to preach the gospel, but to do so in a way that is guarded and does not include, as Paul says, the giving of our own selves. I know that's a delicate subject, pastors among us especially, because we oftentimes feel guarded. But brother, pastor, and dear elder, are you guarding yourself in the name of self-preservation in such a way that you are not giving of yourself to your people? Is there a healthy balance to be struck? Yes, absolutely, we should qualify that. But the elders of Christ are called to give of themselves. Paul is saying, to give of my very life to you because you are so dear to me that I don't withhold myself from you. And if that means bearing wounds upon myself for your sake, I will do so because our Savior bears upon his heart our wounds And we can take those wounds to him. And just as the high priest took the names of Israel into the Holy of Holies, so does Jesus bear upon his own heart your name and your wounds. And it's okay to give of yourself even if it means you're going to be wounded. Don't be so guarded that you don't give of yourself in the ministry of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture. Paul says not only the gospel, but also our own selves. We are called to this ministry of gentleness, to conduct our ministry, not to use our office to serve ourselves, not to gather people to meet our needs, not to make things about ourselves. And why do you think Paul uses this picture, this particular picture here? It's because this is a description of how God loves his people. From Isaiah 49, verse 15, God says to Zion, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraven you on the palms of my hand, says the Lord. We are to love our people in this way. And when we love our people in the ministry of the gospel, like a mother loves her child, we are seeking to love them in the reflection of the way God loves us. And therefore, we ought to love them. The gentleness of a mother. But then secondly, as you see this other picture in verses 11 and 12 and and on, the picture of a father, a tender father. He arrives at this picture by, first of all, pointing out the fact that his conduct among them was, was blameless, that he provided for his own means and by other gifts from other churches, especially the Philippian churches in that context. Paul was able to conduct his ministry among the Thessalonians in such a way that he did not add burdens to them, is the point that he's trying to make. Paul's ministry was an attempt to remove burdens from them, not to place burdens upon them. And the picture there in verse 11 and 12 is when he says, For you know... How like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. It's interesting how he 
he, he shoots off those three different participles there, which all seem to maybe be saying the same thing, but they're actually like uh, hues and sparkles of the same diamond that as you turn it, they, they communicate just a little bit more than the next. When Paul says, we exhort you, he is speaking of the urging that the minister of the gospel does, the urging to follow a certain mode of conduct. The exhortation is the coming and follow this way. We exhorted you. We also encouraged you. And that might seem to, to just be you know, the infusing of courage, but in this sense, it's actually used about speaking with persuasion to the people of God. We encouraged you and persuaded you that this is the way as we exhort you and encourage you and charge you. And that third one is actually the strongest of the three in the language. That is their saying, that this is being spoken with a manner of insistence. Tender insistence to be sure, but insistence nonetheless. They're all saying that Paul took the initiative by the ministry of the gospel to lead the people with the tenderness of a father in contrast to a scolding and harsh and critical father. He says in verse 12, we exhorted each one of you suggesting that he had a word of grace and a word of encouragement and a word of exhortation for everyone under his care. Where we could imagine him perhaps celebrating the steps of the people of God and encouraging them to continue to walk in the manner worthy of God. Sometimes that walking looks like baby steps, doesn't it? But do you celebrate those beautiful baby steps? We exhorted you, we encouraged you, we charged you. And even if perhaps we had to correct you, it was coupled with kindness. It's this specific tone of grace-filled words that lead our people. Now, some of you will understand that I have, um, this is a Vantillian thing, the antithesis. What does this not look like? Because Paul is establishing a contrast. What does this not look like? Uh, I... I think I've shared some of this in other contexts before. Uh, I came out here, I was uh, involved in a student ministry uh, as I was working through seminary in a church in Boston. And there was this very sweet woman whose name was Linda, and she liked to sing. She liked to sing in the choir. And it was with great boldness that she stepped out one day with a desire to sing a solo in church during the offering and, and bless the church. And after the service, after she had sung, afterward, I witnessed something of what was clearly intended to be a more private conversation toward the, the back in the hallway when Linda came up to the pastor and said, what did you think? How'd it go? And I'll never forget his words to her. He said, you will never sing in this church again. And you only serve at my pleasure. I literally saw life go out of Linda. And I will never forget that moment as an antithesis. The negative example, what this does not look like. So contrary to that, what might this look like? You know the story of Augustine? famous father of the church who writes his spiritual autobiography and confessions. He doesn't uh, speak much about his father, but he speaks often of his mother who in caring compassion and prayerfulness loves him. And before Augustine became a Christian, he traveled to Milan to hear one of the most famous preachers of the ancient world preach. 
Ambrose and to listen to what he would say. There is a description in the Confessions about Augustine's experience of coming to meet Ambrose, and he writes this. Ambrose told me how glad he was that I had come to see him. My heart was warmed to him, not at first as a teacher of the truth, but simply as a man who was kind. That man of God received me like a father. Unknown to me, Lord, it was you who led me to him so that I might be led by him to you. The tenderness of a father. We hear from that account, but we also see it at the end of verse 12 that it is through this tender exercise of the church office that God is at work to call his children into his own kingdom through the means of a gospel ministry that has the tone that is shaped by that glorious gospel. We are called to love and lead our congregations, but they don't belong to us ultimately. Don't you appreciate how what Paul is doing here is he is, he is grasping for language and using metaphor. It's like a mother and like a father. It's the metaphor, but there's a reality. The metaphor is that Paul is like a mother, like a mother and like a father, but the reality is, is that God is, through the ministry of the gospel, calling people into his glorious kingdom. The ultimate reality here. And so this is the summary of what Paul is saying here. All of this is saying what he has said elsewhere. Do you remember what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5? That the aim of our charge is love. That's what you were called to do, to love your congregations. Dear fellow elder, do you love your congregations? Are your people precious to you? Does your heart swell with affection when you consider the saints of your congregation do your members know that you love them? Do you tell them? Do you show them? We want our people to be able to say we are dear to our pastor, to our elders. Love them like a gentle mother and like a tender father. And you know, I think there was a time when I was looking for a more sophisticated way of ministry than that. It seems too simple, right? Love them. Wanted something that sounded more impressive, more profound, more complicated. But it really just comes to this, doesn't it? And in actuality, it's the most profound thing in all the world. As Charles Bridges writes in that great book, The Christian Ministry, he says this. Love is the grand distinctive mark of our office. It exhibits salvation flowing from the bosom of divine mercy it sets forth a most tender father, a bleeding savior, and a faithful comforter. Speaking the truth in love is perhaps, in a few words, the most complete description of our office. Love should pervade the whole tone of our ministry. Why? As we consider the Lord Jesus, as we think upon him, why is that a reality? Because it reflects his own heart for his own people. And we who seek to minister in his name must have hearts that are tuned to his and ministries that watch our tone. 
As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, consider this. That in the very opening description of that upper room discourse in John's Gospel, John 13 verse 1 says that when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, meaning his, his thoughts are focused upon all that must be discharged in order for him to come out and, and exercise his office as the mediator and then be received to his Father. When all of that was before him, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What is chief on the mind and on the heart of the Lord Jesus but love for his people? The infinite ocean of redeeming love in the heart of the Lord Jesus, a heart that is full of gentleness and tenderness and grace and mercy for you and for your people and to direct the tone of your ministry. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in your great kindness to us, you direct us to the truth of your word and thereby teach us. Oh, Father, help us to understand what this means, even in some small way. Help us to be faithful elders in the church of Jesus Christ who have as marked upon our hearts the deep affection for the people of God. But Lord, let us also not forget that we are among those people. And so, Lord, we give to you our hearts now as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.